The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the stocks discussed. Welcome to Stock Take. My name's Gaurav Sodi. Joining me today are analysts James Kala. Welcome, James. Good morning. And from Vancouver, Cougar. Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> from Vancouver. That's the name of the city, right, Graham? Yeah. Right. That's where you are? Yes, okay. I'm sure we'll fix that in post. Well, all the way from Vancouver is Graham Whitcomb. Good day, Graham. Hi, Gaurav. Um, our producer's not going to fix that in post, is she? She's going to leave it in there and... Well, and she'll have to go. fix it now. You're rattling on about it. Yeah, yeah. I think I should have to. Okay. Yeah. You better save me, Stephanie. Right. Gentlemen, um, don't know what, what's been happening with you, Graham. You're probably sitting there in um, in peaceful, serene snow or in beautiful weather, but we have been um, having it over here. Uh, JC, how are you doing with all the water? Oh, it's pretty pretty crazy i've i've had uh siphons hose pipes going in the garden a, a, a flower bed filled up with water jeez i sound yeah. i mean compared to how I, <laughs> yeah i know but i was gonna say that i should not be worried about my flower bed should I? But, it's a um, disaster you know, yeah. <laughs> i had a puddle, puddle under the house in the setup <laughs> no look it's pretty I'm, I'm i'm sort of up the hill here so i'm all right but it, geez, it sounds pretty bad for a lot of people so yes hope everyone's okay out there Agreed. Yeah, the um, a lot of the roads around us were were flooded. Rosewood Bridge was was completely closed. So pick up and drop offs were quite tricky. Um, but it's been difficult. All the streets around um, around our area are flooded as well. Somehow our house is actually above water, but we've got roof leaks. Um, yeah, the garden just can't take any more water. Huge puddles everywhere, and everything is just so soggy. It's just an awful place. I'm dying to go into the office actually, and and work somewhere dry, but it's really um, gross. Speaking of yuck, gentlemen, the uh, the markets are pretty interesting. Are you, how are you guys handling this? There's big falls in pretty much everything. Although, look, I must say, um, coal and energy has <laughs> has, held, has held up pretty well, hmm. which is sort of half my portfolio. Well, it shows the benefit of that diversification, doesn't it? I, don't, I never have any resources stocks. And at times like this, I, I sometimes wonder whether I should start <laughs> because it does provide a bit of a hedge, doesn't it? Well, I, I, I look. I don't want to boast, really, but I, I will a little bit. Um, I mean the the reason we've got um, look, I, I think we distinguish. We're we're quite different to most value uh, services and funds. It's it's because we have. Um, resources exposure. I mean, Nathan's, I think, wrote the fund updates um, a couple of days ago, and those funds are chock-a-block full of, of, of miners. Probably a third of the funds are now filled with, with miners, and there wouldn't be too many value investors who could say the same thing. And I think that's the way it ought to be. I sometimes get very frustrated with traditional value investors and how dogmatic they are, and uh, it's, it's almost a a pious enterprise, you know, about who can be the most preachy and who can adhere to the rules the strictest. And, and I just think the, the best investors are actually the guys who know when to break the rules and, and when not to adhere to them. Well, they and were showing a fair bit of value as well, weren't they? Last year? So while, while everything else was getting a bit carried away, well, they were right. showing a bit, of, which is hence why, I mean, I don't think we necessarily got into them for a, for a hedge in case no, Russia no, no. invaded Ukraine. But, no. but uh, you know, well, if you I, I might, did know about it. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> Vlad gave you a call that he gave you a heads up. But um, no, look, I mean, you saw that the commodities were, were pretty pretty cheap, and and the stocks were pretty cheap, and so look, you you buy the value, but but it, it certainly helps to have. I mean, they they respond differently to you know different different macro things while yeah. everything else is tanking. They've been doing but pretty well. I I just think I, I've been saying this so much in podcasts and um, in the office and anywhere I can, but I, I just think uh, investors ought to be flexible and open-minded. And this idea that we only do this or only do that uh, and a very narrow view of um, your investing universe, I think is a, a real problem and can be terrible for your returns. Yeah, you got to look for value wherever it is. You can't wherever just say, well, my, my bit of the market is not That's showing right. much value, so I'm going to sit in cash. That yeah. you, you, you do have to hunt around for it um, within your circle of competence. But I think you've got to, as you say, be flexible. 
Yeah, it's it's a tough balancing act. But um, but Graham, how have you been holding up? How are your stocks holding up? Well, there've been there've been a few big falls for them. Um, Ansel kind of got the party rolling at the beginning of the reporting season. Yeah. It's now down. It's just about halved from its high last year, uh, oh. which yeah has it's been an impressive um, decline, but maybe not totally unexpected that it would uh or at least that sales would come down as they have um yeah they've they've had some issues with uh just i think they were one of the first ones to feel the pain of the bottlenecks in uh supply chains they have a lot of shipping moving around that kind of got clogged up they had this double whammy where people were pulling back on purchasing uh personal protective equipment and gloves while at the same time supply from competitors was increasing because every man who owns a factory has basically opened a glove supplier this past year. Um, so yeah, it, they kind of got stuck in the middle of a few different forces and yeah, that, that caused margins to really tank this half. But yeah, a, a lot of that, just... it, it's still, the, the decline still surprised me because mm. I mean, a lot of that was expected. It wasn't, you, I don't think many people expected glove sales to continue as they were in the middle of the pandemic or for other suppliers to not increase capacity or anything like that. So although all of the, although it's kind of operational performance doesn't seem very surprising. Um, what has surprised me is just how badly the market took it. Yeah. I mean, there have been a lot of stocks that have fallen 50% or more, but I was surprised to see Ansel on that list. It doesn't really fit the narrative of high growth, high multiple unprofitable business you know it's quite it's quite the opposite of all those things pays pays decent dividends low multiple and um yeah. and, and pretty steady so and i'm, su- I'm surprised su- to see where it is the surprising thing is also that it's back to basically where it was before the pandemic even started uh mm. despite being probably a, a big beneficiary of it that there probably will be at least some uh perpetually higher demand for personal protective equipment because a lot of uh, hospitals will kind of increase their purchasing long-term due to different guidelines being changed. People in general are probably a little bit more hygiene aware and so more likely to buy or stock up on gloves and that kind of thing. So Mm. I'd expect that it's sales to be higher post, like even if all of this disappears uh, in terms of the current strains running about, I'd still expect Ansel to have higher sales than it did going into the pandemic. Um, yeah. And yet its share price is kind of below it where, where it was before. Well, we're also um, coming in, well, coming to the end, are they? So I guess we've finished now, but reporting season is over and Ansel might be an interesting one to cover off a little bit more with a little bit more detail, Graham. But before we do that, can we get some general impressions of, reporting season because we cover different universes really and I suspect my experience of reporting season may have been different from some of yours because my <laughs> company's absolutely fly. Yours went up. Mine didn't go up. <laughs> I saw probably some of the best results I have ever seen. Those miners have been astonishing and I've seen plenty of booms before but this one was special because the um the cost work and the productivity gains that have been achieved over the last 10 years has really paid off in this reporting season. And the capital allocation across the board, across any sector, any metal, any business, it is now the norm for um, these mining businesses to take a lot more care with capital allocation. And they're rewarded for good allocation now by the market and they're punished for bad allocation. Big change from the last boom where prudent conservative miners were punished and those going off buying everything were richly rewarded. So this has been a massive change. And I've been saying for a while, I think this is a more permanent structural change across the industry. And this result um, certainly bears that out. So I've I've had a great reporting season. I've been shocked, amazed by some of these results. JC, yours? Yeah, probably probably the polar opposite, I think. Yeah, I've I've got a lot of the sort of high quality... um, you know, high growth, uh, high highly valued stocks, yeah, and um, yeah, they're they're being absolutely smashed at the moment. So, mm. um, you look, I mean, some of the results were were, I think they were mostly pretty good actually. Domino's yeah. um, disappointed. We'll talk about that in a minute, but um, mm. 
you know, mostly okay, but but there's just no appetite for for some of these high growth, highly priced stocks at the moment. Um, and at the smaller end, mm. um, they just seem to keep grinding lower. It feels a little bit like, not quite as bad, but it feels a bit like um, the original um, uh, COVID crash in March a couple of years ago when, you know, when when um, I think the brokers used to call it a buyer's strike. And, uh, you know, when there's no one who wants to buy a stock because people see the stocks going down day after day and, you know, that people, you know, a lot of people are sort of uh, maybe not chartists, maybe not following momentum, but it but it still puts you off buying a little bit. And and yet there's there's still constant sort of selling pressure because people want to raise cash or they get frightened or whatever it is. So, you know, that sort of supply demand imbalance is only one way and stocks keeps growing. A lot of them just keep grinding lower and um it's an interesting question on how to play that. Um, mm. Well, I mean, I think there's only one answer as a value investor. You just have to Day trade. Uh, buy the value, grit <laughs> your teeth and buy the value. And of course, but what it means is you, you, you do want to do it in parcels because, mm. you know, there, there's every possibility of, of that value getting better. So you, so you, and, and as that bat value get, gets better, it's appropriate to have a slightly higher weighting in, in, in the stock. Um, so you, you, I think, buy in parcels, grit your teeth, and 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 have some resources, <laughs> so so you can sell something to buy. And also, just be anchored to the valuation itself, that rather than yeah. watching the share price too much, just well, that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to get across. But I think that the point is that it, you you'd be surprised. I'm constantly surprised at, at the opportunities that get offered up. Um, I mean, just going back to the COVID crash, for example. I mean, you got Lavisa. And ordinate, for example, with, mm. with in the two dollars, I think, didn't you? Well, I mean, you know, yeah. the, the, things can get really extreme, and so um, if it's possible, you know, you want to leave a bit of spare capacity for for those sorts of eventualities if you can. You don't want to just go all in where the value is just, you know, slightly attractive. You want to, you know, give yourself an option of of something better. I remember I bought my first parcel of the Visa shares around ten dollars. And I saw that fall all the way to two dollars something. I think I bought I bought a parcel at, at three dollars something. And I was just thinking to myself that that's the largest spread of of buying parcels I've ever bought from three dollars something to ten dollars something. Yeah, or, uh, or ten dollars to three dollars. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah, that's probably yeah. more accurate. But, but that ten dollars is has proved um you know pretty good in the end. Yeah, so, I, I, um, and the two dollars has been um spec- yeah. uh, that three dollars sorry has been spectacular. Um, yeah. It just, yeah, it just shows that that these things can move faster and lower than you might expect. That yeah. they're not always representative. It's, it's particularly the illiquid stocks. So those are the ones to mm. to watch out for. Because look, some days no one turns up who wants to buy them, mm. and uh, and if that's the case, then someone turns up who really wants to sell, then the price is going to fall. This does feel different, though, to me. Um, March felt very indiscriminate, and we we're having big, big drawdowns Two every years ago, day. Right? Sorry, yeah, two yeah, two years yeah, ago, yeah. yeah, two years ago, um, it felt oh, it indiscriminate. Different. It's not as and, bad, yeah. yeah. Whereas now, I, I think it's quite targeted. The stocks that are selling off, there are a specific subset of stocks. It's the COVID winners and uh, the unprofitable growth stocks. Mm. Mostly, other things getting hammered. I mean, I've been sitting here waiting for PWR and John Ling's group, two stocks I I think are very interesting. Sitting there wait, waiting for them to to sell off, and they just won't budge. They won't go down. Huge multiples, both of them, but they don't quite fit that narrative, and so they've been spared. Well, I think when you get a correction in certain pockets, turns into an all-out sort of crash. What what happens is the the selling sort of moves to the higher quality stocks because people start wanting to sell some of those in order to take opportunities elsewhere, and and mm-hmm. so the whole thing starts grinding low. And we haven't quite got to that point, I suppose. And who knows if we will? I'm not mm-hmm. trying to predict anything, but um. But yeah, as you, as you say, at the moment, it's it's really just my portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> Some days it feels like that anyway. And Graham, what about you? You've got an, um, a, quite an eclectic uh, collection of stocks there. Uh, how did you find reporting season overall? I found it very random, the movements. Uh, some, I mean, some of the stocks that I cover definitely fall into the groups that uh, James and you just mentioned. But there are others that seem... To have just just the market just I don't know didn't like their results didn't like 
something about them and I'm seeing movements that just seem random almost. Normally I feel like in a reporting season you can kind of predict once you see a result what the stock is going to do, at least the direction that it's going to go. But I feel Mm. like this reporting season has been so all over the place that when I thought a stock would jump after the result, it went down or other times it went down twice as much as I thought or, uh, yeah, it just seemed to be very erratic. I'm finding that increasingly the case. I often, um, I find myself getting increasingly surprised by the magnitude of movements in reporting season. Uh, we'll talk about Levisa, I guess, a bit later, but that thing rose 30%. And I remember looking at the result in the morning thinking, oh, it's really good result. It's pretty good. It's probably going to be up a couple of percent today. It's up <laughs> 30%. 30%. And Graham, you've got a, I forget the name of it, but it's a um, Vitilago um, treatment business. What's it called again? Clinuvel? Clinuvel, yeah. Yeah, I looked they don't at actually treat uh, Vitilago just yet. That's in their right. pipeline it's, of, it's as in a their potential pipeline. treatment. Okay. Yeah. Clinuvel, yeah. But I looked at that result and I thought, that looks pretty good. You know, this thing will probably do well today. And it had a massive uh, fall and I just didn't understand that. Money Me was another one where I thought the result was was outstanding, actually. And um, they got clobbered on the day and since then, don't yeah. quite get that. Money, Money Me has surprised me a lot. Uh, I feel that it could be a case of just over-expectations, that it, it, it is growing at such a speed that even a small decrease, if you're, if you're some investor who's thinking that it's going to grow at 20% a year and it ends up putting out a number of 18% or something or other, that's going to swing mm. your valuation quite a bit if you then project that out 20 years. Uh, so, yeah, I, I get the sense that it's a product of its ultra-high growth and not having let the market down very much, that, yeah, just a slightly less rosy outlook than people expected kind of walloped Mm. its share price but it had a great result i um i think it was one of its best results yet just not not only in terms of the numbers but uh just management's engagement and i don't know i came away with a very good impression yeah i i I think that management's actually very uh good at presenting and and quite charismatic because every time i hear clayton howe speak or present I just want to go buy some more shares. Yeah, he's, I'm the same. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's very engaging. And just that growth. I look, well, why don't we do that, Graham? Why don't we actually turn now to some detailed results? We all bought a couple of interesting ones along. And I think, is Money Me on your list, uh, Graham? It is, isn't it? Uh, in terms of, I mean, I uh, the, the, One of the results you're bringing along to us? Oh, with I think Ansel, Ansel might be the more interesting one for now, okay. just because let's, not let's as many members would own... Ansel money me as Ansel, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. So I spoke about it a little bit more about uh, a little bit earlier about what it's going through at the moment, but I mean, it looks like great value to me, despite the, all the falls since, uh, kind of late last year. I mean, this is still a company that should be able to grow in line with the economy over time. It's not as if 10 years from now, gloves are going to be displaced by some internet startup or something like that. Mm. It's the largest, producer in the world it's got all these economies of scale and what's what's the market share it's quite low isn't it it's got big competitors it's in the sort of 10 or 20 percent isn't it Uh, yeah it's not it's not a dominant share uh but it's still kind of an mostly an oligopoly of just maybe five five large and it it relies fully on i mean there there isn't much sort of differentiation in in a in a glove i mean i suppose in, in certain areas they they'd they'd have specialist sort of gloves and stuff but generally speaking it's really the scale and the economies those are the economies of scale that gives it the competitive advantage and it's none the worse for that i guess yeah the economies of scale are where probably the most uh enduring competitive advantages it's it's almost impossible to think that a small glove maker is going to compete anywhere near their level of distribution network or just the plain um, economies in the, in the factory, but they do have, they have been shifting their uh, product portfolio over towards more branded gloves, the niche areas. They do have a big single use division, which is where kind of the the losses over this past six months were originating uh, just more generic gloves. They also have some that are outsourced to other manufacturers uh, that got squeezed as well. But yeah, a big part of their industrial uh, division is a very niche branded 
gloves for specialized uses like and some particular chemical they're resistant to or something like that and and those would have more uh, would have higher margins would they so that they're disproportionately making profits are they and perhaps a little bit less cyclical yeah it's not a high margin business in any uh area but uh but those those gloves do make better margins and better returns on capital than the rest of it graham i had always assumed actually um my thought on ansel was that you know, you know, it is a relatively low margin business. And I know there are big competitors, but gloves themselves are an interesting category because they carry a high proportion of risk, but a low proportion of cost. Um, so if you're a, a manufacturing business or a medical business, gloves are so important. The quality of the gloves are so important. And if something happens, something goes wrong with those gloves, the consequences are so dire that it's it's probably not an area you risk um, switching around too much if your current supplier is working. Yeah, um, and there's also and so, an element of because they're used repetitively throughout the day. If you're a surgeon or mm-hmm. something, you're going to be using the same glove over and oh, well, not the exact same glove, but you're going to be using the same uh, brand of gloves over and over. If you're some chemical engineer or something, then you might be wearing the same glove the whole day. Because of that level of usage, even a small difference in the quality or the comfort or flexibility or anything like that is going to make a difference to you because Mm. if this is something that you're wearing constantly, then you're going to need or you're going to notice the slightly better brand and that kind of thing, Uh, particularly Mm. when you've got distribution networks that are running through, say, some big purchaser at a hospital or something like that where they're going to only buy from that one brand or uh, one distributor then, yeah, those little differences, I mean, I don't think Ansel's gloves are going to be twice as good as the next guy, but even if they're just slightly better, that can accumulate over time to a pretty loyal base of uh, users. I had um, two questions about Ansel, really. Um, one of The first one is actually quite, quite a tricky one, Graham, and I hope you're able to um, enlighten me, but historically Ansel in its results has had a lot of abnormals, um, one-offs, um, extraordinary items. And there's always seems to be uh, multiple lines under the, uh, under the bottom line uh, of, of one-off events that it change um, or influence the results. Um, is that now at an end? Are you happy with the way the company actually reports its results? Uh, yeah. I mean, they usually need some level of uh, change. But I I don't think, I mean, it hadn't stood out to me as being one that has too much uh, going on beneath the profit line. I mean, they've restructured a bit over the last five years. So yeah, there's going to be changes in terms of some operations have been sold, they've made acquisitions in other cases. So those, I mean, that's pretty normal to then write off uh, acquisition related costs or discontinued operations or something Mm -hmm. or other to get uh, taken out, but it didn't doesn't strike me as a company that is, I don't know, manipulating numbers somehow. Okay, can you say something about capital allocation as well? Because the the dividend yield surprised me a little bit. How, just how high the um, the dividend is on on this business is that um, is that sustainable? Are they running with too much debt to to cover that, or, or what's your view on on how they're spending the cash? I think they've done a very good job, really. They they earn pretty consistent returns on capital. I mean, it's nothing spectacular, but in the 10% mm. range or so. Uh, mm. And management's been pretty good. I think the, the best thing has been that they have been willing to let go over the last four or five years in particular, the lowest margin uh, generic elements of the business. They sold the sexual wellness division a few years back, they've cut out a bunch of brands. They've consolidated a bunch of other ones under new brands. So I think they're moving in the right direction. It's it's just a slow grind, and I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. They've, they've been a pretty good management, I think, over the past five years. Nothing's jumped out as being, um, I don't know, that it's poorly managed. But I think they've had a lot of they've, – they've just got a naturally uh, volatile business. They operate in a lot of countries, a big chunk of their yeah. – uh, earnings come from emerging markets. They're also in very cyclical industries, such as industrial or automotive, or um, now we're finding healthcare. Uh, 
So there's going to be like, this is a stock where you're going to get big booms and busts in earnings generally. And, mm. but over a period of five years, I think management's done a pretty good job overall. Yeah, no, I would actually agree with that. I, I think this is a, a really difficult business to manage. You know, some companies are, are easier than others to manage. This is really hard. You've got variable input costs. You've got a huge um, uh, distribution network to manage, um, a, a large product range, um, it's, and, and a big bunch of competitors as well. So it, it's a hard business to manage, definitely. Yeah, um, I agree. JC, any comments on Ansel before we move on? No. I think you've pretty much covered it. <laughs> All right, your your turn now, JC. What do you have for us? Um, well, I was going to um, mention Domino's, which mm. uh, um, look, it, it was a pretty poor result in terms of uh, what had been expected last year. I suppose it's really the turnaround from uh, from a year ago. Sorry, six months ago, the full year result when Japan, well, and a year ago when Japan was just absolutely firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly uh, it, it kind of fell in a heap in October. So the, four, the, the second quarter of the year, um, Japan sales in Japan fell same source same store sales fell twelve percent in the December quarter compared mm. to quite a strong period, but that's a big fall. Um, after the state of emergency lifted, um, and so I think the 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 thinking is that more people eating out uh, in in other restaurants and not getting so much uh, pizza delivered. And uh, so that's a big shift. Um, and the margin fell also from 14% to 10%. So a real crunch. And, and you know, six months ago, you know, the market and, and we were singing and dancing about how, the, how well Japan was going. And so, you know, that um, the stock got a bit ahead of itself really on all of that. People were extrapolating all of that. Um, I mean, it got it got above our sell price, and I was desperately sort of hanging on um, uh, because it's it's a quality company, and you don't want to sell it. So we didn't. Um, mm-hmm. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, but now it's fallen all the way back. All of that um, froth has has gone off, mm-hmm. um, disappeared, um, and well, I say that it's on a price earnings ratio still of forty, um, which is pretty high. <laughs> But uh, it's but, now but, just um, a cappuccino well, rather than yeah, a... <laughs> yeah. And I mean, earnings are going to fall this year by a few percent. But um, but look, we we the management described that as a re- rebasing, um, which is you know management speak for start. <laughs> it's all starting again <laughs> from a lower level. Um, and uh, but that's probably probably fair. You know, it's still um, a high quality business underneath. Um, Japanese sales and profits got a bit ahead of themselves, mm. um, and uh, but I think the company can move forward from here. And you know, growth over the next couple of years should bring that multiple back into the twenties. Um, the other thing is to, to bear in mind with Domino's is that it's, you know, it, it is quite well diversified now because while while Japan uh, did poorly and uh, Europe is still performing very well. Um, the performance at home, actually, in Australia and New Zealand wasn't wasn't the greatest. Um, they're investing to to try to get um, franchisees to you know take up Project Ignite, they call it, to take up stores in um, uh, underpenetrated areas. So they're sort of handing a bit of their margin over to um, franchisees. Um, you know, those are those are their their best franchisees, and and they're trying to get them into, you know, better in, into new areas and open more stores. And so I think it hopefully eventually will drive sales. That's the the balance they're they're striking. Um, and so you know it swings and roundabouts. Um, and while this was very poor in Japan, you know, Europe still goes well. And they're talking about, uh, and Taiwan, of course, is going very well, which they bought recently. And they're talking about making further acquisitions. And um, the thought of this management team getting their hands on, uh, you know, another country or region uh, is is quite attractive. So, look, we we like it. We we still back it. And um, well, we're now prepared to buy it. So uh, the um, uh, it's about eighty dollars now, and um, that looks. 
pretty attractive. I mean, like I say, the B is still quite high, but this is a company which, um, despite the recent setback, um, uh, is is still should still grow strongly. We think over the medium term. If you look at this over a two-year period, rather than compare just last year's results or three-year period, then where they are today is actually quite extraordinary. And I'm not sure we would yeah, have expected right. that two or that's three years right. ago. No, that's right. It's 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 the old two-year stack, isn't it? It's a classic yeah. sort of you know when the last year doesn't look so good. That's um, right. I, I was looking at a result recently. I was trying to think: is it was it Woolies or Coles? Mm. Um, one of them was talking about maybe doing a three-year stack. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but um, the uh, in Domino's, yeah, I think true. it's true. It's it's valid. Um, it's valid. It's, that's right. Know, because you've had this extraordinary COVID period, and um, it was hard to know at the time how much of the growth was. Um, was one off and how much was due to all the things that the business was itself was doing. Yeah. And it does, um, it does do a lot. And, and, yeah. and I suppose it's a credit to Domino's management that the results in Japan were, were believable as being inherent. Well, that's right. Business, as opposed <laughs> to being, you know, um, fed but by that's still a ripper territory, Japan. I mean, this is, yeah. oh, it is. a problem yeah. child. Yeah. And, and they're still, they're still runway. putting out new stores and they're still, yeah. um, you know, building, you know, so um, opening new stores. So, um, look, I think that there's a long runway ahead there. You know, the European Japanese market's relatively underpenetrated compared to Australia. And they've um, still got growth in Australia coming too. There's still yeah. additional stores to yeah. in Australia. One thing they, they pointed out um, they were quite big on um, in the presentation was that, um, especially in Japan, um, the number of um, stores... Um, so people with franchisees with six or more stores um, has almost doubled over a year. Well, actually, it's more than doubled over a year. Um, actually, no, just almost doubled over a year ago. So 16% of stores are now um, with uh, people with six or more stores. So, you know, they're getting their their best franchisees are opening mm. new stores. Um, and uh, and that bodes well for the future because they're the ones that make the money. So, mm. um so you know, I think um, it, it's it's well set up, um, but you know it's taken a, a step back, and you know that that's the opportunity. So uh, it, in this environment, this is a dangerous thing I'm about to say, but I actually think forty times isn't a silly price to pay for Domino's. Well, it's the new it's the new twenty, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there aren't too many. How many businesses are there that have such a um, such a reliable um, growth? Runway to come, and these oh, guys are going to. I could, least I could think of a couple, <laughs> but um, but how but many? These guys have the. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, right. And look I at mean... the look at the track. This, I, I reckon, this is one of the best management teams going on the ASX. Um, I have so much respect for for um, uh, the management, what they've done with this business. Yeah, I think uh, growth in the teens uh, for quite a few years. Quite is, a few is years. Very, yeah. very uh, possible. And I think that that brings the PE of 40 down very quickly. Um, yeah. You know, it, it depends. I suppose I suppose the other factor is interest rates and how much you, you want to pay for, for that growth. Um, mm. You know, if interest rates went up to 8 9%, then you'd probably see this multiple come, come back. But, um, you know, uh, that, that's, I, I, that's not something we look at particularly. I know. If everyone says that they want to buy great businesses when there's a pullback or, you know, when the market panics, well, um, I reckon Domino's yeah, this is, a classic is, case is, of that, is right think. up there. Yeah. 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 I think it's, you know, business. look, it's a setback, but it, but the business is, is far from broken. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, um, it's quite interesting. Um, nice one, JC. Uh, I'm going to mention Whitehaven, um, for, for one of my stocks. Um, it is now my, my largest position in my fund. Um, but um, that's not why we're talking about it. We're talking about it because um, when the result came out, I, I thought um, I thought it was a ripper result. And I was speaking to a friend of ours um, right afterwards, and we were sitting there sort of uh, gleelishly thinking about, oh, look how much the stock price is going to rise on this. big we're going to see. Wow. Yeah, we were giddy. That's we were good. giddy. <laughs> I think gleefully <laughs> would normally be how you'd look at it. Sorry, I mean, you can't you can't help be the editor, can you? Well, I know, and I love that word, Grealishly. I shall use that later. I think it's good. Yeah, keep going. Sorry, I'm making all these improvements to the language you don't recognise. I'm eliminating yeah. apostrophes. I'm adding <laughs> amendments. 
but it was actually the the, the the stock actually fell quite heavily on the day, and I just couldn't understand it. And and I still think um, where spot coal is, even the future uh, the future price of coal, the entire structure of that future curve has moved. We're not just talking about a spike in the spot price. Um, contracts for coal months, about 12 months in advance, have all shifted dramatically higher. Um, I've never seen the coal price like this. The thermal coal price is now sort of $400, $450 spot, um, and Whitehaven produces at $80. And, uh, you know, in my assumptions, I thought it would be like $120 uh, Australian. So uh, I thought it would be uh, maybe less than $100 um, US. And we're now talking sort of 400 450 um, <laughs> The numbers when you run them are so ridiculous. Uh, you want to be just careful because at spot, now look, I, I'm going to insert a little warning here. Just, just, be, just be careful. Just sit down and think before you do anything when I say this, okay? But at spot, Whitehaven will probably earn its market cap in eight months. In the Reason to be Gleelish. <laughs> 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 yeah now there there are there are caveats there uh one is that there's lags associated with the price which actually in this sort of environment means that we're going to see the second half be an absolute ripper and probably the the half after that or at least the quarter after that is almost guaranteed to be good but 450 dollar thermal coal <laughs> is obscene it is not I mean, no one should expect this to continue. I think it, it can halve and halve again. So um, who's who's paying those prices? Who's who's buying coal? I mean, who needs it that much? Yeah. So what's going on, right? Okay. So so what's going on is that um, when you build a big um, thermal plant, a, a, a thermal generator, coal is is a variable cost, but it's by no means enormous. And um, compared to the cost of building the thing in the first place, so you and then compared to the cost of not having that. anything to shovel in, <laughs> that's yeah. pretty, and that's shutting it down and starting it up and all that sort of thing. So you really exactly. want to keep it going, yeah, right? So uh, you know, in, in the jargon, it's an inelastic um, demand curve, and the price can spike a long way um, if there's not enough coal. And what's happened is that um, you know this was happening before, uh, well before the Russian invasion, but. Um, that's actually made it worse, but there's just a shortage of coal all over the world. Um, as we've been saying for two years, that um, demand is remaining stable or even increasing mildly, um, especially in the region where Australia and Whitehaven specifically sell coal, which is Northeast Asia. And um, and supply is, is stagnant. No one is building new coal mines in this part of the world, certainly. High-quality coal is hard to, to come by. The the marginal supplier of high quality coal is Russia. And um, that, that might be a troubled market for some time. I, you know, my own expectation is that I, I think um, coal prices could stay higher than people expect, sort of over around $200 a ton for, for quite some time. And it doesn't change the long-term value for uh, for Whitehaven. So I wouldn't plug it into my spreadsheet at 200 bucks or three or $400. I bet right. you have though. <laughs> Just to see what happens. <laughs> I bet you have. But He's betting every, on eight hundred. <laughs> every week, every week that prices stay at this level, um, adds to the cash that's going to be sitting on that balance sheet, and the cash balance is building, and it's building quite rapidly. And I think the best thing to come out of that Whitehaven result, the thing that really gave me a lot of conviction, and I bought more shares after the result myself. Um, was that um, I was always uncertain about how Whitehaven would would allocate its capital. You know, this is a company that has uniquely among coal miners, has a couple of growth projects that are permitted and ready to go. And I thought they may be tempted to pull the, pull the trigger on those projects. Um, but they have pretty much been very clear. They're going to buy back stock. They're going to pay dividends. The debt's already gone. Um, so, so this is cash is coming back and it's coming back fast. And every single week, this, the coal price stays anywhere near these levels, more cash is coming back. And it's only going to be a matter of time before um, the market starts to realize what starts. It's already tripled. Well, it's actually 4x since, um, since the first parcel we recommended, since the first parcel I bought. Um, but I still think um, it, could go, it could go higher from here. Um, I caution that at this price, um, 
you know, it, it's it's a lot of sentiment driving the coal price and coal miners at this point. So, you know, we'll see a lot of jumping around of stock prices. But this is not really, for me, this is not really a story about the, the stock price going up too much. It's really about just sitting on those dividends and waiting for the, the business to buy back more, more shares. So has the business or is the business planning to buy back? Yep, already it's, it's buying back 10% of its stock um, in one half year result. I, I expect, I think that's probably what's going to happen from now on. Um, it's probably going to start just buying back shares um, at, every, at every half year. Um, in fact, the buy, buyback started um, yesterday, well, Monday. And it's doing that in preference to a special dividend. Uh, yeah, that's right. Well, because, well, and so management's saying, must be saying that they well, think the share price is... It, it's on an e- EBITDA of sort of one and a half. So, <laughs> well, but, think... <laughs> but, but management saying it thinks that the prices are going to yeah. stay firm enough to make that valuation a reality. Yeah. yeah, they did say they'd do it at a effectively. They didn't say this, but they said they'd, they'd buy back four hundred million dollars worth, um, and ten percent of the company, which is roughly at four bucks a share. So, um, yeah, so so that they're telling us that they're happy to keep buying up to four bucks a share. Do they own a big stake in the business? Uh, management owns a bit, um, a, a decent chunk, more than, um, I mean, enough to, to keep them interested. And they've got a, to be fair to them, they've actually got a really good record of capital allocation. What they've struggled with is operating issues from time to time, but that's a function of mining complex mines um, and a lot of them. It, it's going to happen. Um, but but I actually think the management's quite good here. Um, so I'm, I'm quite happy where, where Whitehaven is. Graham, let's get let's circle back to you. Um, we'll do one more stock each, um, unless you sorry, unless you guys have. No, no, no. That's just. The... I mean, uh, gosh, everyone's frantically on yeah, the keyboard. I'm putting my buy <laughs> orders in now. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I think uh, bear in mind uh, everything Gaurav said about the caveats. <laughs> yeah, I know. What's the uh, portfolio limit on that stock? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, look, I I, I think I've done it at three or four percent, and um, look. That's conservative. If you, if you know what you're doing, you can make up your own portfolio limit, I guess. But that's to highlight that this is not without risk. You know, I know the spot price looks very attractive, but as I said, that spot price is is not representative at all of where coal fundamentals are, and I don't expect it to last. Um, and you know, they they operate complex mines. A lot of them. They've had operating issues in the past. They could again. Um, and, uh, you know, this is just in part of the market. I mean, Russia could come out or Mongolia could come out tomorrow and, and say, we're opening all these mines. China could do this. There's a lot of X factors here that could influence how this might turn out. Um, at, you know, at $1 or $2, um, you know, this was a very, I, I would say, um, you know, you, you could easily handle all those risks at $4. You just need to think about them a bit more. But there's still, I think, a decent opportunity here for a part of your portfolio you heard it here first folks <laughs> well you heard it two years ago to be to <laughs> <laughs> um right graham back to you what do you got uh well we can talk about money me if you like i mean money me is a great little business it's built this it's got it now nearly a billion dollars worth of uh outstanding loans that it's built in less than a decade so it's done very, very well in such a short period. Uh, it's also one thing which I like about it is that it's, it's managed to expand pretty well its kind of core competency, which is just getting loans out quickly to people. You can borrow money from this company in under an hour in a lot of cases, uh, and it'll hit your bank account that day. But it's expanded that from just small personal loans. It's now gone into auto loans, and that's done incredibly well. Just over this past year, it's gone from zero, a loan book of zero to 155 million, which is, which puts it on par with lots of other small lenders. Uh, and it's done that in a year. So that's amazing. And yeah, yeah, the, right. Okay. That's yeah, done way yeah. better than I expected, actually. The, I was optimistic about the auto loan product. Uh, that was part of our original buy case last year, but. Boy, I did not expect that level of Well, growth. the company was saying before they even launched the product, they had dealers calling them, asking them to if they could use it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, if you can borrow a, if you can get your car loan sorted out in less than an hour, 
then yeah. that gets you out of the dealership quickly. It means the dealer can then focus on That's right, uh, getting the next car out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they've no, done I agree. a very good job and all the numbers were positive this year, whether you're looking at the loan book or revenue or underlying net profit or whatever, everything more than doubled basically. Graham, could you um, speak a bit about this acquisition of Society One? Because that looked like a ripper of a deal to me. I'm not sure um, if, if that's the, if that's correct or not. But and, and the market doesn't seem to like it very much for some reason. Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, what makes you say that the market doesn't like it? Well, the, the stock price. I don't know. It's just fallen quite a bit since that deal was oh, announced. I, I like link everything. the two together. Maybe it's not, <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's not linked to that. I don't know. I wouldn't put it down to that. I think the deal does look uh, good and it's also because it's got an, an interesting uh, way of lending. It's got this proprietary software that pumps out the loans and assesses risk apparently faster than others. I don't think that'll last. That's a lasting advantage, but they're doing a good job now for the next few years, I would expect. And Society One is, is a good deal. It pretty much doubles its uh, the company's loan book. And there are economies of scale in this business that by having, because it's got a, a fairly fixed cost base uh, in terms of the operations, or they'll probably even be able to take out a bunch of duplicate costs from the business as well, because they can combine head offices, they can use the same uh, software platform to actually make the loans. I think it makes a lot of sense. It'll probably mean that they have all things being equal, slightly better margins out of it, and they'll definitely get uh, some kind of cross-selling opportunities in a sense where they can start pitching their auto loan product to the Society One members and all of that. So mm. I think it I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And and management's really impressive here. I, I am quite um, impressed with the way they um, they've been able to come up with new products, but thoughtful new products, not just um, a, a shotgun approach to offering everything, but but really useful niche products um, and they've all taken off um, and they do that with a, a centralized um, uh, kind of uh, digital platform so it, it does make it easier and it, it seems to me that the more loans they make the better their software should get at, um, at, at limiting um, losses right yeah you would think so I don't think it, it is going to be an enduring advantage but the thing that impresses me uh, about money me is that the, if you read the online reviews of this company, the customers or the, the borrowers absolutely love it. You just don't see large lenders that have so much support. It's almost got a fan base that you would see for a tech stock like, um, well, any of the different major tech stocks. Uh, <laughs> you tell them, Graham. Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they do have this loyal fan base, which is so unusual for a, yeah. a small Customer lender. love, they call like, it, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, genuine but, customer love. I, I noticed that when um, it reminded, at, at the time, I think um, you had uh, introduced Money Me. I was working on Aussie Broadband, and I definitely noticed the, uh, the, the management felt the same. The customer base had the same kind of love for the brand and it's unusual in both circumstances to get that in those respective industries yeah you do not borrow money and have to pay back interest to someone and then write this beautiful review about them. <laughs> review. Right. Uh, so the fact that they've gotten <laughs> like nearly five stars worth of thousands of reviews to me is speaks volumes of the product that they're offering and how happy customers are with the actual experience and may I say that that management has hustle. Like those guys, um, you know, yeah, <laughs> I would they're, back they're those clearly guys to make strategists. They know yeah, what they're for sure. doing. Yeah. Um, JC, do you have uh, much to add on on Money Me? No. Hey, do you join the stock? No, I don't. Um, I've sort of looked at it, and every time I read Graham's reviews, I get interested, and then I think, oh, look, you know, I, I've. <laughs> Everything in my portfolio is so cheap. I, I, I keep trying to nibble at more of those. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I haven't haven't gone that way yet. Mm. But uh, it's interesting. I actually own a bit of Money Me. And um, yeah, that's the, yeah, you amongst should. all the coal and energy. And that's the, that's the big bright red spot in my portfolio at the moment. 
You can borrow from Money Me, get the money in an hour, and then use it to buy the stock. And it's oh, this. Okay. <laughs> oh, now you're talking. <laughs> yeah. Now you're talking. Yeah. The safest way to invest. <laughs> and then write a, a positive review at the yeah. end. <laughs> the circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. But just quickly on, on the valuation, just, just talk about how you think about valuing a business like this, because the PE is completely useless. Um, you've explained in your previous reviews why that's the case. So on what basis should one approach valuation? Well, I think you do have to adjust what their profits are because at the moment, a small lender that's uh, growing really quickly, its accounts get completely distorted by this accounting principle called AASB9, I think by memory, uh, where they have to record all of their expected loan losses up front. So if you're writing a ton of loans uh, as you're growing so fast, you're going to be recording mountains of losses in the first year instead of spreading them out over the full life of the loan. So all of these loans are being written profitably if you account for all the interest that's going to be generated over the full life life of the loan. But uh, that first year is just completely distorted, basically. So yeah, the current PE doesn't really matter, but you can get to the underlying profitability and then what you would expect over the full life of the loan. So that's how I've gone about valuing it. Hmm. Okay. Um, off the top of your head, do you have a, a figure for that at the moment? Uh, we've got to buy up to 220 and the sell price is around $4 a share, which is roughly where I think its fair value would be. Nice one. Okay. Let's, uh, let's carry on. Uh, JC, what's your second stock? Well, I'm cheating slightly with my second stock because it's not well, it's it, it has had a result recently, but uh, it was pretty pretty dull. Uh, Medical Developments International, which makes the um, the green whistles, mm. which you puff on when you've dislocated your shoulder or or what have you uh, for pain relief. Um, if people um, haven't uh, haven't had the opportunity to use one, or for um, possible RSI when writing all those positive money me reviews. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So all the stress um, of building leaks and <laughs> <laughs> indeed so they they um had a look at the the result it was is really neither here nor there um i mean they performed very well in europe um which is great to see except that uh, i mean look it's against a sort of covid affected period so it's um although so was this one uh, to a degree it's hard to sort of compare i suppose year to year but they've they've got their sales um, teams they're sort of busy sorting that out in Europe and um, particularly France and prospects look pretty good there um, but prospects look even better now in the United States so um, well compared to what they were um, the the big news came out a, a few days after the result where they announced that the clinical hold um, it's called on the trials in the U.S. Um, has been unconditionally removed by the FDA, which means they can go ahead and um, start recruiting for that trial, which they'll do later this year. Um, they've already done quite a lot of the preparatory work, apparently. Um, and the fact that it's unconditional means they can bypass one or two uh, other things in terms of getting the thing off that they were expecting to have to do something called a human factor study i must admit that i do you know what that is Graham? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the um but they they you know a preliminary study to the trial they they won't now have to do so they can get into that straight away um the trial will run for two years it only requires them to have 200 um users which seems extraordinary um and and possibly um uh, reflects the the safety profile that's been established for the um for the product around the world um and so they're hoping to start selling in the uh, in america i mean look they're, they're not yet you know we'll have to wait and see if it, the trial is successful but we have good hopes for that because of the safety profile around the world and um, and efficacy, and so they're hoping to start selling there in the 2026 financial year, which sounds like a long way off, but actually, you know, the beginning of that financial year is only a bit over two years off. So, um, so we'll see. But uh, um, certainly, getting that 
approval, which is, you know, again, I say it's not in the bag yet, but but um, mm-hmm. uh, this is a, very much a step in the right direction. And that's um, a, another huge market, which um, the way management expressed it on the call mm-hmm. was, you know, it, it, it's another leg of growth. Excuse me. <clears throat> Um, after like the European, you might need a green whistle, <laughs> The uh, after the, so the Euro, Europe should be growing strongly the next few years. That's mm. um, certainly management's expectation, um, and and they're describing this as the, you know the next leg of growth after that. Um, so um, uh, we're 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 keener on the stock than we were before, um, and yet it's funny because after the result so when it went into the trading hold ahead mm. of that the mm. stock was at 340 mm. and then it bounced to 460 when it reopened yeah i remember there was a big big um, yeah that huge day. 30% move yeah. that day and then but then it it went all the way back to 360 or 70 yesterday but it's bounced a little bit but look it, it, it's cheaper than it, it you know um uh, than it was a uh, 6 weeks ago and um and yet it has this um the, you know this clinical hold lifted in the us um, um, one has to say it's, you know, it's a one product company. Um, it's a one product pharmaceutical company, which doesn't have a full approval. We're still try- doing trials in its major market. Um, and so, you know, pharmaceutical products, uh, you know, there's potential for recalls, all sorts of things. Mm. So, um, it's a speculative buy for up to 3% of portfolios. Um, but we think that, um, you know, there's the potential for you know the potential more than um, makes up for for the risk for for, the, for that small part yeah. of. And this is another one where the management's great. A bunch of ex CSO execs. Yeah, that's right. Actually, what the, yeah. the, I, I was going to say that the possibly the main thing that came out of of all this, apart from the obvious um, approval, uh, sorry, approval for trials, mm. um, is is you know how impressive the management are, and they. You know, I, I just that their um, that um, presentation is on the uh, medical developments uh, corporate website, um, and if people are interested, I encourage you to go and have a listen because, mm. uh, um, yeah, they're 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 pretty impressive. Mm, I haven't done that yet, but uh, I will do. Thanks. That's I think this is um yeah, it's looking quite interesting. I'm, I'm surprised by these share price moves actually. Well, I think it's it's this this it's mm. this thing. You know, if, if people see that share prices going down at this current point in time grinding low day after day a lot of people are put off from buying yeah and, you know that that means they can keep keep going for a while all right well let's um let's finish up my last stock which is um i thought we just very quickly just look at la visa i just run through um what i liked about the result um but i wanted to give a quick shout out to a couple of other brilliant results over the period which came from um, bhp just astonishing aussie broadband which was um uh, just phenomenal as well, and um, Karoon Energy, which just, um, geez, that thing is going to be printing some cash. <laughs> um, and and uh, the other one is Woodside, which probably didn't is going to look even better um, in the next half um, and in the year to come. But there are some very very strong solid results coming through. Um, but Lavisa was a good one. Lavisa stood out to me because. Um, you know, retailers across the board had been reporting cost issues, supply chain issues, distribution issues, um, lower demand uh, from consumers. And you looked at LaVisa's results and none of that was evident in their result at all. They just crushed everything. Um, despite having uh, the, uh, you know, the, the Omicron mess um, on, on the East Coast, um, on the East Coast stores, um, it's such a international business now, and the rest of the world just um, covered for those um, for those losses. Uh, and there's so much more growth potential. So the the margins are actually fantastic. Um, sales growth was incredible. They're continuing to get so much product out to stores and continuing to to use all the data that they generate to to create new designs to get out to stores. I think they do about a hundred new products a week. Um, and get them all done and delivered to stores, which is a, a, an incredible feat. And the U.S. expansion, they're only at 80 stores in, in the U.S. And um, as I said in the review, I think there's room for thousands of stores in the U.S. Um, the question about the, um, about the model, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the actual economics of the stores, there's, there's not really a question about that anymore. It, it, it is now about how many they can roll out and uh, and what this thing looks like at greater scale um so i think that was just um 
it's just a phenomenal result. Um, and uh, you know, the, the the market's not unaware of it. Uh, the, it's it's one of those stocks where the uh, the PE looks pretty silly. I think it's um, anyone got that handy? You got the PE handy for Lavisa, JC? Um, I've no idea. I'm afraid <laughs> it's a lot. I think, isn't it? All right, let me let me go for it. It's about forty five, forty six times, which is which is a lot. Yeah, but um, when you factor in the growth that's coming, look, I, I we don't have a buy on it at the moment, and I think that's probably right. Um, but I certainly, um, you know, it, it it could it could if it gets hit during um, this period. Um, this is a business that has um, a, a fantastic management, um, a long, long runway, and um, and and probably the best retail economics I've ever seen. So it could do. It definitely want to add to your watch list if it's not there already. Well, gentlemen, that was a, a big podcast. Um, right, lots to talk about. Lots to talk about. Yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah. we could go on, but we should probably finish it off at, at some point. I can hear birds screeching in the background. Results. Who is that? Is that is that yeah. me or is that you guys? I thought that was at your end. I think it is at my end. Bird. I've got a, yeah, a yeah. cockatoo nest um, yeah. not too far from me. <laughs> it's very loud. <laughs> um, but thank you for um, for joining me, JC. It was good to, good to hear from you. Uh, Graham, likewise, thank you for your time. Thanks, Gaurav. And for everyone else, thank you for listening.